You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 100. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Clark. Welcome, everyone. Welcome, everyone. You have reached another Local Maximum. In fact, this is episode number 100, as we just said before. And because we have had, because we had an episode zero uh, back at the beginning... Uh, that means we have 100 previous episodes that we can talk about. So this is the century of the podcast. You know, there's that debate as to when the century ends or when the decade ends. Is it on the zero or on the one? We don't have that problem here on the local maximum because we had an episode zero. Um, all right. So um, I always thought I'd hold a party or something for episode number 100, maybe get a panel together. You know what? I can still hold a party, come to think of it. Uh, I have no party plans. We just had our New Year's uh, party. I hope you guys had a great New Year's. Um, I, I spent New Year's with, with family, and, and I hope um, you spent New Year's with, with people you like as well. Uh, maybe I could get a party together, maybe something this spring. I don't know. So uh, maybe I, I get a panel together, but as the schedule turned out, you know, this episode... Uh, landed right after New Year's, and everybody has either been away or is coming back from vacation right now, uh, and it was tough to get a group together. But I did do this. I spoke to some previous guests and collaborators on The Local Maximum, and I had them ask me questions personally about the last 100 episodes, the topics we covered, what I learned personally, and there are a few questions from listeners that I got from Twitter as well. So today I'm going to answer those questions and uh, I'm going to give you my thoughts on where the local maximum has been for the last hundred episodes and what that could mean for the next hundred episodes. So last week on episode 99, we did a roundup of the decade, but this is the roundup of just the podcast. So we'll return to normal next week. Won't be a roundup. Uh, it'll probably be an interview or a news story. So first... Let's go over a bit of the history of the local maximum of this show and what I see as some of the milestones that we have crossed. The local maximum was launched on February 6th, 2018. That's almost two years ago, but I'd been thinking about it for some time before that. Uh, that was my first time I had my own show since my college radio days at Yale Radio, Max and the Wiz, which that ended in 2006. Um, in fact, the launch date for Max and the Wiz was also February 6th in 2004. So February 6th is kind of a good date to launch a project. It's dead of winter, but January is usually too soon after New Year's. Uh, I, I started by looking for topics that I was both interested in and had expertise in. Uh, later on, I added, you know, things that people would be interested in. But I found out that stuff that I'm interested in is usually something that the audience is interested in as well. And so... I used that framework to kind of set out to find my first guests uh, because, because I had been working as a machine learning engineer at Foursquare for uh, many years. I had given talks about how we recommend restaurants, how we rate restaurants and bars and all sorts of places, how we pull out key terms from reviews and recommend to people what to order when they walk into the place and it's magic. And I enjoyed giving all those talks. So I decided that that would be a good place to start. And for me, the cornerstone of machine learning, which is the technique that we use to do all this, the statistical technique, the cornerstone idea 
was Bayesian inference. That's kind of where it all began. And I know you heard this probably a thousand times already about Bayesian inference if you listen to Local Maximum. Well, not, not a thousand times because there are a hundred episodes, so maybe a hundred times. But it's all about brainstorming the different possible states of the world, coming up with a prior of how likely you think each one is, and incorporating new data. And that leads to intelligent thinking, believe it or not. So I started my introduction uh, my first podcast, episode zero on Bayes' rule, how to update your beliefs. And I brought in my long-term, uh, my long-time high school friend, Aaron, MIT grad, engineer, like, you know, a real engineer. Actually, <laughs> scratch that. I shouldn't say that. Uh, software engineers are real engineers, but you know what I mean. Like the, the other type of engineer, hopefully we'll get better terminology on that. Um, so I'm, I am a software engineer, so I'm not trying to Play it down. Anyway, at that time, I just thought uh, Aaron would be a recurring guest until I could fill up my roster. I didn't know he was going to start coming on at least monthly, or in some cases, every other show. Um, delighted he decided to do it. Uh, but he was the perfect person to have on. First of all, when I kind of stumble on an explanation, forget a word, he's always able to swoop in and let me know how to fix it, let me know if I said something that's not quite right. And also, no matter what topic I bring up, he knows a lot about it. And so, and he knows me better than anyone else I can get. So that worked out really well. So we spend a few episodes just talking about Bayes' rule and Bayesian inference. On episode one, we talked about how to use this concept to analyze the news. In that case, we talked about the Hawaii missile scare, where everybody got a text saying that an ICBM missile is coming this way. And we determined that the prior on that, before you've seen the text, is very low, and the chance of somebody pressing the wrong button and everybody get the, getting the text actually outweighs that. So it's probably that, which is what it was. Um, now, actually, uh, as we start 2020, the prior of an ICBM coming this way might be slightly higher than it was uh, at the beginning of 2018, but uh, hopefully uh, hopefully not, not much higher. Uh, so then we, uh, then after a couple of interviews in, uh, we went to episode four and I talked about code breaking and we discussed how Bayesian inference can be used in a real software system to get interesting results. In this case, it was about building language models, you know, the type, you know, the language models are used by the types of bots that uh, are on Twitter or to send you spam mail, uh, but it's also used to detect these things, uh, as well as kind of crack simple codes, which is what we did. Aaron encoded some stuff and I cracked it. Um, and uh, those codes, I call them simple, but they wouldn't be so simple to crack uh, without these techniques. And so those three shows kind of got me thinking, if we machine learning engineers have all these techniques and all these frameworks to make computers smarter, could we somehow use these ideas, break it down into the core message, and then impart wisdom onto you, the listener, about how to use these ideas to make yourself smarter? Well, uh, yes, I think we can. And it doesn't just make you smarter. It makes me smarter, too. Because I, I've realized I've been using some of these techniques to make computers smarter for years or algorithms smarter for years, but I never thought uh, uh, to use it on myself in any deep way. So, for example, take the concept of overfitting and underfitting. That was episode 16. Yeah, it's a technical term we use for statistical models. But if you can think of yourself as overfitting, if you notice that you're just believing and acting upon the last data point that was presented to you, then maybe you could take steps to make sure that you do less of that in the future and make better decisions. So same with argument by analogy. I talked about the nearest neighbor algorithm in episode 57, but 
now I'm starting to think, okay, why do I feel a certain way in, in a certain situation? Is it because I've been there before? And then I can ask, well, is that a valid analogy or not? Do I have enough data? So that's something that uh, I hope to continue. If I ever get around to writing a book based off the local maximum, it would be about these ideas from the machine learning world that the average person can think about and apply, uh, starting with the local maximum itself, which is uh, an idea from uh, optimization, which, which is a point where uh, a local maximum is a point where you're worse off at all the nearby points. So think of, think of yourself as being at the top of a hill next to a mountain where you need to climb down in order to climb up higher eventually. It's a big-time mathematical term, but it applies to a lot of situations. Uh, for example, when you're mastering a skill, you might find that you're kind of comfortable in the way you've been doing it, and if you start practicing a new way or practicing a new technique, you'll be sort of worse for a while. And then after you practice that for a while, uh, you'll be way better. So I, I'm trying to think of some examples. I don't know why, but I just thought of like, Golf and musical instruments on that, not something that I would say I'm a master at. <laughs> Golf is a good example of something that you, you have your groove and then you all of a sudden get worse and you get better. But video games too, that's another one. Um, so not to mention your job, you know, that's what a career change is all about. It's about getting out of the local maximum. So I started the local maximum podcast uh, with this 10 episode challenge. Uh, those are the O's. I was going to push myself to complete 10 episodes, good or bad, whatever happens. And I was up late for some of them. In fact, I'm up late for this one. I'm still up late. But back then I was up late and it was like miserable. Now I'm up late and I'm like, I know what I'm doing. And then the idea was either I'd burn out and decide to move on to something else or it'd become a routine that I'd want to keep going. And we, we all know what happened there. So I started finding guests. I started with people that I knew at Foursquare where I worked. And they had a lot to say about building great products. Uh, Mariam Ali was on episode two to talk about internationalization and localization. She was my first guest. We had discussed the show before I had started it. I asked her, I was almost like almost a year before I started the show. I was talking to Mariam. I said, one day I'll start a podcast. Will you be a guest on it if I do? And she's like, yeah. <laughs> so she was my first guest. Uh, she was a former Foursquare at that point. And uh, so she, she had left her job at Foursquare to go to Google. And then later she joined, rejoined Foursquare. I left Foursquare and then I came back to Foursquare and now we sit right near each other. So that, that's, uh, that's kind of a, a strange and happy coincidence. Second guest was Stephanie Yang to talk about Foursquare ratings. Uh, Stephanie Yang is one of those machine learning engineers that I look up to and I don't say that about a lot of people. So we talked about you know, how we mine our data to get the right restaurant and bar ratings to get trending results. And later on, I spoke to more Foursquare employees. Uh, people have asked me why I've done it less now. Well, first of all, like I spoke into, I, I should, I really like this idea of talking to the people who are actually building the software and the products. Um, but I have branched out a bit. Uh, maybe I'll resolve to do some more of it this year. Obviously, when I switched jobs, I didn't do coworkers right away because it was, um, you know, I don't really want to bug all my coworkers. Uh, but now that I've been back at Foursquare for a few months, I have a few people who uh, I, I think would be interested in this. So um, maybe I'll start doing that again. Maybe we'll have a little more fun. We'll do like, you know, um, we'll have a bunch of people of, who do party rooms, uh, you know, where everybody can get their say and just have kind of a, a fun discussion. Um, so there were a few milestones 
on the local, a lot of milestones on the local maximum that I want to go through. And I'm thinking of like milestones in creating the episodes. So the, 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 not, not, it's been growing, but I'm I'm not talking about user numbers here. Uh, The first milestone I think was episode seven uh, when, well, after zero and after two, when I had my first guest. The first milestone was episode seven when I had Dennis Crowley on the founder of Foursquare. I was really psyched when he agreed to come on the show. And I even got a spike in downloads uh, after uh, he retweeted it. Fortunately, now when he retweets it, uh, it's, uh, I have so many downloads that it doesn't, uh, I can't see it, but I'm sure, I'm sure he'd be happy for me on that. Uh, and uh, so he would later go on to come on the show several more times, as well as pull me back into Foursquare after I had left uh, to his innovation labs. So that, that was, it only took six months, so that was pretty awesome. One thing that I noticed in those early episodes was that I bit my tongue too much. I would listen to myself and I'd be dancing around a controversial issue, whether it's Mark Zuckerberg or the media. And frankly, a a lot of it boils down to supporting people's right to speak and not liking what they have to say, which is a hard case to make in today's world. So I resolved to break down that barrier. That's one thing that you, people train themselves to kind of bite their tongue and you have to kind of untrain yourself. In episode 14, Aaron and I tore into this Washington Post article trying to promote what I would describe as techno-socialism. We tore into these social media companies who are censoring and shadow banning, all named protecting us from the trolls, the liars, the alt-right. And, uh, you know, we... We don't do this to agree with any of these groups. In fact, some of these people I find repugnant. I've interacted with them online. Uh, But it's really to promote alternative solutions to this very 21st century problem of uh, content moderation and censorship. Um, Also, you know, a lot of podcasters talk about this. Uh, A lot of bloggers talk about this. I feel like on this show, I kind of have an inside view on how this can happen and all the different ways you can get shadow banning, all the different ways. So I'm kind of going out and talking to people who have experienced with this, but I'm kind of on the inside and we're like, okay, we have got to deal with all this spam in Foursquare. We've got to deal with how do we deal with offensive speech and all that. And I know how we how the solutions that we come up with and all the different aspects of the problem. So I feel like I'm kind of... um, I'm in, I can be an important voice in the conversation in, in that way. Um, so I, I, I sort of break down my other milestones where I'm like nervous about the episode. I always calm myself down when I'm doing an episode, uh, when I'm doing a new podcast episode by saying, hey, Max, you've done this before, so don't worry about it. But there were a few that I really hadn't done before. Um, and so it was... You know, it was kind of a new thing for me. In episode 17, I spoke to Rob Bernstein, Robbie the Fire, who he's a comedian, he's a podcaster, he's a co-host on a very popular show. You know, he's in the real ranking leagues of, of podcasting here. But I listened to some of his jokes and some of his opinions, and I felt that he was smart and he was approachable. So I reached out, and he agreed to come to the Foursquare office for a recording. And I thought... This is crazy. I only know him from the podcast, and he's coming into the, the office. So it's a very weird experience, people. If you've heard someone on a podcast for a while, and then you talk to them in person, I can't describe it. Maybe you feel like you're on the show or something. It's, it's kind of a weird... Um, it's weird to only know someone. It, it's very different when you meet someone and, and you only know them from the podcast first. Now people feel that way when they meet me. A lot of the times I have to be cognizant of that. So that worked out, and I was like... 
I can reach out to someone who I find interesting. I don't have to be introduced. It's weird to think of that as a seal that needed to be broken, but it was. Um, episode 25, the first time I recorded on the go and vacation. I wasn't sure I was going to be able to keep up the weekly schedule, but that was the great Twitter purge of 2018. I recorded it from a hotel room in Northern Ireland. You know, now I, now I knew that was possible after that point, but you know, my travel life is totally different now. I'm lugging around microphones everywhere I go and other equipment, but that's okay. Um, I always find a way to get the podcast done. Uh, in episode 26, the next one, I got Chris Messina on to come in, product extraordinaire, inventor of the hashtag. He was also really big. Turned out he'd been listening to the show. In episode 29, that was the first time I traveled. I traveled into like traveled to meet a guest. I traveled to where they are. I traveled to Queens Village to get an interview with Assemblyman Clyde Vanell on blockchain and Bitcoin and in New York State, and that was the first time I traveled to someone for a show. I, I do go to people's workplaces a lot. I repeated that for a bunch of other people. I visited Bethany Crystal at Union Square Ventures, Hillary Mason at Cloudera, Henry Abramson at his office in, in Toro College. Uh, so I went deeper into Brooklyn there. And then a, a big one, uh, this uh, summer, Jeff Tucker, I drove all the way up to Massachusetts, up to the Berkshires, to interview him at... Um, uh, at his workspace there. So uh, that, that that was an interesting one because you, you drive up and you're like, okay, well, I, this trip is, uh, if this is a, if I'm making the day trip, then, then I want this to be good. And that was very good. Um, so coming back to the teens and the 20s and episode numbers at the local maximum, I kind of adopted the show to different circumstances. And then in the second half of 2018, I started to get some varied and really interesting content. So some favorites were uh, Shirin Mojarad on causality, on you know how to tell whether A causes B, and people were really into that. It was a very popular one at the time, um, like organic uh, interest in, in that episode, which I was surprised, and it came out very well. And then I got uh, Naomi Brockwell on Bitcoin. Naomi, She's on TV. I actually got a guest, and she's on real national TV. Like I probably saw her on Fox News on like on the big on on a flat screen TV like several years before interviewing her on the show. So that was pretty awesome. Um, episode thirty nine was Paradox. That was my first math episode, and I've done one or two others. I really like those. I don't I don't get a whole lot of feedback on them, uh, but they do pretty well in terms of numbers. So. We'll see. I, I really like doing those. I did one on uh, Infinity recently. I'll probably do more on Infinity. And episode 41 with David Petruja, who is an author I like. We talked about American history and how uh, U.S. presidents and presidential elections were affected by changing communication technology. So th that was very relevant. And I realized that if I find a book interesting, I could absolutely reach out to authors, and the rate at which they agree to do my show is pretty high. Uh, I reached out a few earlier than David Petruja, uh, so it's not 100%, but I'm really glad I got David on over those other authors. Um, so uh, that, was, um, that was pretty cool. And then later on in episode 45, I have to mention when Miriam came on again to do a tell-all about Google. That was after she left Google, but before she came back to Foursquare, uh, because that was also had a big interest, organic interest, how people, uh, how interested people really were in that show. And, uh, and then on episode 47, I did my little end of year comedy routine. Um, so 
there was a lot of innovation in 2018. In 2019, the show was a little more stable, but I got into a better groove of getting guests and doing interviews and, and, uh, and news topics. It started with a social choice theory, a.k.a. voting and voting systems episode with uh, Daniel Kronovit. I said goodbye to Foursquare and then hello to Foursquare again in the same year. Uh, my first interview in front of a live audience was with Denise Hearn on monopolization of the tech industry. And so I had a lot of big guests in the 60s and continued through the 70s and 80s. Uh, there was, oh wait, there's one that I'm forgetting, hold on, uh, that I don't have written down here that um, from, from the 50s that I want to mention. That was the guest that I had. Oh, yeah. Uh, that would be uh, 55, uh, David Auerbach. I knew it was another David. So Bitwise, A Life in Code. That was just a book that I picked up at Barnes & Noble. And now all of a sudden he's there on my show. So that was pretty cool. Um, so, uh, yeah. Um, when I spoke to my friend Tassis Nulas about urban data science, that was a lot of fun at NYU. We talked about the, the study of the city. And then we went to Ukraine together and we taught classes uh, in Lviv, and I brought my Bayesian inference class onto the show in episode 78. Uh, back before that, in episode 73, I talked to Talk Python to Me host my, Michael Kennedy, my first doubleheader guest. I think my only doubleheader guest at this point uh, was with Anthony Aguirre on theoretical physics as well as prediction engines in episode 84 and 85. And my first head of state head of state with the uh, president of Lieberland, uh, Viet Yelichka. And, I, and that, that was crazy. I invited them to my office, and it was like eight people come into the Foursquare office. I was trying to be inconspicuous, but uh, it didn't work out that day. And uh, finished up the year getting back to math and computer science episodes um, with some of the Manning publishing books and, um, and uh, with, uh, um, with uh, Alexandra and Dora. Uh, on, uh, on 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 elections. Um, oh, and I need to mention the gaming episode recently that was '94 with Craig Lorenzen and Dennis Crowley. That was a real personality-driven show, human interest show about video games and how it inspired them and how it can inspire you. And I got tipped off that I had now that I have. I, I tried to get more people together, but it's always very complicated. But I tipped off now that I have more coworkers interested in that. Um, so we might see more panels like this in the future. Um, another aspect of the show that I've been working on is the solo show, which I'm doing right now. So solo shows I kind of find are the toughest. That's why I have to take a break right now to take a sip of my tea. Yeah, your voice really does uh, get, um, get a little coarse during the solo show. Um, and also you kind of have to uh, plan out what you're going to say beforehand because when you have two people, there's kind of a stream of consciousness back and forth. You could ask questions. Solo shows, I find that monologues are really tough. Uh, but I'm doing one now, and I think this is going okay. So uh, we can continue doing that. I, mean, I like doing solo shows. I want to do a solo show every once in a while. I want to do more because I could talk about my issues my way. Uh, so I really like the math ones. I like the political teardowns, like in episode 90. That's the narrative confirmation bias. And I kind of got the um, the whole idea of going through an article and ripping it up from my talk radio days at uh, at Yale. So that that's always a lot of fun. Um, as I look through the list of topics over the last 
hundred episodes, over the first hundred episodes of the Local Maximum, I see that some topics came up more than expected. So one of them is social choice theory, the economics of, of voting and um, influence. And I think this is a big one. I think this, I want to continue on this theme because this will, we've got a lot of election analysis coming up in 2020, U.S. presidential election year. And coming at it from the approach of social choice theory, this will allow me to go into a different type of analysis than you're getting anywhere else. But I'll also do more kind of traditional analysis. I definitely want to talk about, um, um, do uh, like after uh, last week's episode, I definitely want to do my 10-year kind of political and social narratives um, in the U.S. Uh, talk. Um, a lot more authors and historians than I thought. So, I mean, I guess I've had two historians, but that's more than I thought, and I hope to get more, and, and a lot of authors. So that's wonderful. Uh, believe it or not, I didn't know I'd be taught. I, I, so I talk a lot about emerging technology, technology of the future. I didn't realize I'd be talking so much about augmented reality. I thought that was just one thing of many. Um, but, and I mean, I knew I'd be talking about Bitcoin and crypto a lot, but augmented reality seems to come up more and more. Maybe that's a sign. I don't know. And finally, I have kind of a new vocab word, epistemology. That's the study of what's true. And that's sort of in, in some ways even more basic than Bayes' rule. It's like, how do I know what's true? Kind of the philosophical foundations of intelligence and knowledge. And we talk about that a bit as well. And I think we're going to talk about it more. So a big piece of news on the back 10 episodes, the 90s, was that I got a real paid sponsor. That's in Manning Publishing. We sold and gave out lots of fascinating software books. If you're interested in sponsoring an episode of The Local Maximum, and by the way, you might be thinking, I'm not going to give you the price here, but I guarantee you, you can afford it at this point. It's, it's the price point is very reasonable. Uh, if you want me to mention your, your product, reach out to me at localmaxradio at gmail.com, and I will personally talk about your service or product or podcast or YouTube channel on this show. Um, I have the right to turn it down, so only if I endorse it, but then you know that if I uh, talk about a product on the show, then I'm, I'm really into it. All right. So now to let's get to some of the questions from previous guests and listeners. First, let me take a sip, and then I'll get to the first question. First question. Um, what inspired you to start The Local Maximum? Hmm, that's, um, that's a real, that's a long, that's a, lot, a combination of things. So what I would say... First, I'll start with my original radio show at Yale, and from that I was kind of inspired by my, you know, theater, uh, a combination of theater in high school and listening to talk radio. Um, I think studying kind of Bayesian inference and self-studying at NYU and learning machine learning uh, and then going and giving talks about all that stuff sort of inspired me to say, hey, let's actually do something that's a little bit more regular so that I get better at it and can be accessible to the wider public um, and, um, and because I enjoyed it so much. Um, another one was kind of back in the summer of 2017. I was spending Monday, um, Monday mornings at the NYU Future Lab. Um, that was on Varick Street. And there's a lot of really interesting uh, companies and entrepreneurs coming out of there. And so I was just kind of thinking of 
ideas and things to build while I was there and talking to people there. And one thing I realized that was that I wanted to build an audience and a communi uh, community to collaborate on, on ideas with. And so I started planning out this podcast. A few other um, side projects of mine came out of that. But the main one was the podcast, and hopefully that will supercharge other side projects um, as they come to fruition. Of course, the, I'm hoping the podcast will be something that I can bring in everything that I do from like Innovation Lab at, at Foursquare, you know, and et cetera. Um, another point of inspiration I can think of is the podcast that we had at Foursquare. We had, it was kind of a short-lived podcast that we had Foursquare from the Foursquare communications team. It was on the pin podcast and Dennis was on it and Sarah Spagnolo was on it. And I went on one day, I like, you know, they, they don't really ask engineers to be on this thing, but I kind of, um, I kind of pushed my way in there. I was like, no, I'll do a, a, a game show with the guests. And, and I did that. And I had a lot of fun with it. But unfortunately, they discontinued the podcast. So I kind of wanted to do my own. That was in 2015. Um, and then I have to mention some of the like content consumption that I do online and some of the podcasters and YouTube channels that um, I found inspiring. Let me give you two examples that are both very different from each other. Uh, the first is like, in terms of podcasting, I, I think the, the Tom Woods show, it's a libertarian political show, but he is just really good at, um, you know, making an argument, uh, explaining things, being kind of compassionate towards the audience, uh, and um, sort of attacking things from different angles. And um, I think I first heard him back on talk radio when it was like a local talk radio in Connecticut, uh, but um, with with the Peter Schiff show. And so I thought that um, I, I listened to that and that was the first podcast I listened to. I was like, oh, this is actually, you know, on the level of radio, but but better. And so um, that was sort of an, an ins a point of inspiration. Uh, a second one was some YouTube channels. I could mention things like Numberphile and um, some of the mathematical ones. But uh, really, Henry Abramson on the Jewish history lectures, like I would not. I was kind of interested in that topic, but I wouldn't have gotten into it so deep if it wasn't for him. And it's sort of it's interesting because I used to listen to or, or watch some of the Open Yale courses and Open. Stanford courses, obviously for machine learning and like Yale, I listen to other things, but it's really like Henry Abramson who came out of, you know, who, who came out of nowhere, it wasn't organized from a, from a university like Yale. I mean, it was from Toro, but it, it's sort of like, hey, no, so just a really talented lecturer putting um, history online that's not really very well known and making it really interesting and all of a sudden, like, I'm just listening to it at night and, uh, and like, learning things uh, <laughs> from my laptop. I just thought that was awesome. Uh, so, so that was inspiring as well. And, the fact, and you know, I, I talked to him a little bit when I had him on the show about, you know, why he was doing these and about how, you know, about, um, you know, how this opportunity that we have um, – in, in, in the 21st century to really communicate to a lot of people. So uh, um, I, I have to mention that as well. Uh, next one, uh, what, uh, <laughs> that was a long answer. That was a long answer to the first question. All right, next one. Which episode did you learn the most from? Okay, so, hmm. I, so I take this one to mean like I learned the most both during the prep and while speaking to the guest. 
uh, a lot of times I cover a topic or a guest that I'm already familiar with. And that's something that I get called out on. Like I'm already kind of like, like when I interviewed Miriam and, and Stephanie at the beginning, like I already, I worked on that stuff with them. So it was not really an interview. It was more of a back and forth. Um, maybe I should look into moving outside that. Maybe I'm in a local maximum because oftentimes when I, I, I interview an author, I've already read the book. So I, I learned a lot from the books that I read. Um, I think that, so here's something that come to mind. Uh, sometimes I clarify my own thinking. So uh, the one on like the six university courses that influenced me, uh, that was, I got to go back to like my college studies and kind of organize it in an interesting way. Another one is how to estimate the probability of an event that's never occurred, episode 65. Now, like I had all those in my head, but the doing the episode actually kind of forced me to kind of lay it all out and be like, okay, how do you actually approach a problem like that? Um, in terms of guests that just knew stuff that uh, and, and were imparting knowledge that I knew a lot less about, uh, like Timothy, Timothy West uh, was on um, virtual reality because I wasn't as knowledgeable in virtual reality and what's going on now. Uh, Anthony Aguirre, I, I cleared up a lot of my conceptions or misconceptions on physics, although you know, in quantum physics, it, can you really clear up your misconceptions? I don't think I have. Um, also, maybe David Petrusia again. I, I thought I knew U.S. history, but I learned a lot more uh, from that conversation that I had with him. So those are the ones that come to mind. I'm sure there are more. Uh, but um, yeah, it's hard to say. There, there, are more, there are other ones with like lots of information on it that like other people will learn. But um, a lot of it is me imparting knowledge. So, All right. Um, next question. I'm sure you've gotten better at running the podcast since you started. Is there anything you did in the early episodes that make you cringe now? Well, okay. Uh, I've gone back and listened to some of the early episodes, and I have to say, honestly, no, no, it doesn't make me cringe. But let me explain further. Um, I actually cringe more when I hear some of the more recent episodes or when I'm editing. I don't know why. It's something about like listening to the sound of your own voice is kind of, it's kind of tough. And for some reason, the old episodes doesn't sound as bad. It doesn't seem as high stakes. Maybe it's like, oh, I said that a long time ago. It doesn't matter. Although we know these days it does matter, but I don't know what it is. It's, it, it, the more recent ones, I, I, I sometimes get more worried just on an emotional level. But that said, there are a bunch of things in the older episodes that I look at and say, oh, um, I don't do it that way anymore, um, and I do it better now. So, for example, I just listened to the internationalization and localization episode again, episode two with Miriam. Uh, it's well worth it if you're interested in that topic. A lot of good information in there. But if you listen to it, it does sound more like an amateur podcast than the episodes I put out more recently. So for example, I've gotten much better at keeping the energy high, keeping the flow better, uh, keeping it, you know, to the point. Um, I used to do like really long bio introductions to people uh, and going through their biography. And, you know, this is not an academic conference. I do much more entertaining and to the point introductions now and sort of get to the point. Um, and some of those I try, I, I feel like I kind of tried too hard at the beginning to sell it, but I didn't get to the point because I wasn't sure if people were going to be into it. I'm just more, just sounds a lot more confident now. And the sound quality has gotten better too. I've just dealt with that uh, issue a lot better. Um, next question. What advice would you give to episode one, Max? Hmm. 
<laughs> don't leave Foursquare. They let you do the show. <laughs> I guess I would have uh, have more advice on how to play things out at work than anything else. Um, maybe I would say reach out to other podcasters more quickly. Get on other shows. Getting on other shows is kind of the best experience, the best best way to grow an audience. You know, from Talk Python to me, artificially intelligent, machine yearning, Naomi Brockwell. You meet so many people, you make so many connections. But I, I did that, so I don't know if I would need to tell episode one max that. Um, don't be a perfectionist, maybe. Your perfectionism uh, on like episode five is it, it, like. It, if I were a perfectionist in episode, you know, zero through 10, like episode, like I, it's still coming out worse than an episode that I do years later that I kind of just do in my sleep, essentially not in my sleep, but you know what I mean? Like with less focus. So it's just get practice. Don't be a perfectionist um, and try to focus on the things that matter. But honestly, I think I still have a lot to learn about this. I think there's going to be more um, tricks in the coming years and the stuff I'm going to say, uh, information to give episode one, Max, I, I feel is um, something that I haven't learned yet. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. All right. Episode 17 and 56 talked about Fake news, this is a topic that is likely to be increasingly referenced in the run-up to the 2020 election here in the USA. Any advice for the average news consumer on how to use Bayesian thinking to get the most out of the news we are seeing? Okay, yes. And I relish the chance to go through some examples on the show as the 2020 uh, year plays out, not just the election, but all sorts of things. Um, you know, first advice, I mean, a lot of people give this advice when a news story comes out, always wait a little to, you know, gather the evidence. Usually the first, you know, the first rush rush out uh, with information is not always the most accurate. Uh, the second thing I'd remember, you know, Bayes' rule, sometimes it's hard to remember all the math, all the, all the functions, all the equations. Always remember the first step in Bayes' rule before any of the mathematics is done is the brainstorming step what are the possible explanations for what I'm seeing? What are the, or hearing, what are the possible explanations for this story? Why might this person be telling me this? Why might this person be telling me this in this way? What are their motivations? What are all the possible explanations? So you want to brainstorm a diverse set of possible answers, not find the answer, just find all the possible answers, even the very unlikely answers, and kind of write them down. Sometimes just by doing that first step, it prevents you from believing in fake news entire or, or totally buying into it hook, line, and sinker. So the next one is kind of pay attention to predictions that people make and kind of get a sense of how serious they are in their predictions, uh, particularly when someone makes a prediction and then um, scolds someone else for not agreeing with their prediction. Uh, so I, people aren't discredited when they're wrong. Everybody is wrong from time to time in their predictions, but keep note of it in case you're asked to form your opinions or to, you know, take action based on someone else's prognostication. Okay, the next question, uh, follow-up. Hold on. Ooh, a lot of talking today. Okay, follow-up question. On a related note, appeal to authority is a logical fallacy but it can be a useful filter for setting, adjusting priors on a piece of information based on what we know about the source. How can we 
effectively balance these effects. Okay, so uh, appeal to authority is a logical fallacy. So first I have to ask, you know, is this really a, a fallacy? Because you say afterwards that it's actually real information if you get something from an authority figure. It doesn't mean it's true, but it doesn't mean it's useless either. So in, in fact, we don't come up with all of our opinions and beliefs from first principles, not by a long shot. I think we rely on authority and appeal to authority, even the most anti-authority anarchists out there, you kind of rely on authority for most decisions and most opinions. Not not the ones that you're probably thinking, no, I don't, but you're only thinking of the positions that you have that are controversial. Just for like your day-to-day -day life, um, you kind of really, you rely on experience and authority. Uh, because the cost of gathering information yourself is too high. So if you know, you've got a leak and your plumber comes in to fix a leak and says, you know, this is the problem. I need to go here and fix that pipe. Are you really going to like second guess the plumber if you don't know anything about plumbing like I don't? Um, or, or think of, you know, think if you do know something about plumbing, think of another professional. So, you know, even if you are going to second guess the plumber, you don't say I'm going to do it myself. Uh, you, you often say, well, I'll get a second opinion from another expert. Uh, you know, think about it like with a doctor or something like that. So we don't come up with it on our own. So yes, expert opinion carries some weight for a prior on, on what's true, but there are a few caveats. There are a few pitfalls to following expert opinion. Uh, first, uh, one thing that is can be misleading, let's say like a thousand experts agree on something. Maybe that's a stronger signal than one expert telling you something, but it's not like rolling a die a thousand times and having them all land on six. It's not that strong. So first of all, what's happening in this case is many of these experts are themselves relying on their peers uh, for their position. So they're not coming out at it with themselves either. So it's not uh, the thousand aren't independent. They're all kind of copying each other. And often they're relying on kind of a standard common knowledge or expected expert opinion just based on the inertia of that being the... Uh, that being the opinion of, of people in the past. Um, and that's, you know, it's usually right, but it's not always. And so a good question is, how can we tell when the standard narrative, when the expert model, the expert opinion isn't true and the, the heterodox opinion is true? So that might be a good episode, not like to go through some examples when, you know, the, the you know, science was overturned or common knowledge was overturned or expert opinion was overturned. And then, other examples where expert opinion actually turned out to be true and the, the upstarts turned out to be wrong. How could, is there a way to kind of tell the difference between those two situations? I think that would be a good episode. Okay, final question. What is your New Year's resolution for the local maximum? Hmm. I guess, so my personal New Year's resolution, well, it's kind of boring this year. It's just to be more... Um, uh, you know, more disciplined overall. I feel like I got some of the pieces in place. Uh, from I'm able to do like one thing at a time with like eating and sleeping and exercising and um, and and working. But kind of fitting it all together this year is kind of personal one. So that's that's kind of boring. Uh, I got this really cool job at Foursquare Innovation Lab right now. Let's keep that job and uh, let's have a year where the podcast and the job really fit together symbiotically. Uh, Another one would be like, maybe let's take this show on the road. You know, I want to engage other podcasters and exchange guests more I, I, like I've done already, but not kind of in a systematic way. I want to really be more aggressive with that. 
Um, maybe I'll get to transcription this year. Maybe I'll do at least one bonus show that'll, that'll be during the weeks to get more content. That'd be cool. Um, I think if I had to come up with one resolution, maybe I want to engage the audience more. I want to engage you. I want to share ideas back and forth uh, with you and maybe try to figure out the best way to do that. You know, emails are great, localmaxradio at gmail.com, but maybe we should have a more collaborative thing going, like a Slack or collaborative documents. You know, there's a Facebook group, but I don't think we're going to have like a whole discussion there. Uh, so I'm trying to figure out like what the best way to do this is. Maybe, maybe events. I don't know. So, so really it is to meet more of you and figure out how to do that. Uh, so, all right. I think that's a good place to end. I think that's a good positive place to end. Happy New Year. Happy 2020. Happy 100 episodes to the local maximum. Uh, now I have to start putting together the program for the next 100 episodes of the local maximum. So we are off. Have a great week, everyone. That's the show. Remember to check out the website at localmaxradio.com if you want to contact me, the host, or ask a question that I can answer on the show, send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. The show is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and more. If you want to keep up, remember to subscribe to The Local Maximum on one of these platforms and to follow my Twitter account, at Max Sklar. Have a great week. Feel the power.